Bass Edge Radio. I'm Kurt Dove. And this is Aaron Martin. This is Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare KeelGuard and makers of the Flex Step and SkegGuard. Visit them at KeelGuard.com. Aaron, it sure is good to be talking about bass fishing again. Kurt, I could not agree more. I've always said if my foot is not on the trolling motor with a rod in my hand, I'd just as soon be on the mic with you, the listeners of Bass Edge. Joining us at the microphone during the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight will be Bass Edge newcomer Jeff Crete. Yeah, and then we'll take you inside the mailbox to select a listener question to be answered on air and award them with a $100 gift card to O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's time for Bass Edge Radio, presented by Keelguard. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. Listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios, high above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. For those following us on Facebook and Twitter, you are already aware of some of the positive turns that Kurt Dove's angling career has taken. Kurt, I understand that you have assembled a new team for the 2013 BASS Elite Season. Yeah, Aaron, you're right. I'm, I'm really excited about this year. And uh, a good friend of mine, Paul Pagnato, and myself, uh, kind of formed a, a fishing team, PK Fishing Team. And uh, we are super excited that we have joined forces with BK Racing. Uh, BK Racing is affiliated with NASCAR, the Sprint Cup. Um, they run Burger King, Dr. Pepper logoed uh, race cars, Toyotas running around the track. So uh, it's going to be an awesome year. We're going to have our truck and boats are wrapped with the uh, BK Racing emblem. Burger King looks just like the NASCARs, which is 83 and 93. So uh, a lot of synergy there, obviously, with NASCAR and bass fishing, and we're excited to be a part of it. Well, I can see it now. Uh, your truck will be consumed with Dr. Pepper cans and Burger King wrappers. <laughs> That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> so, hey, uh, you know, kind of along those same topics, the premise of Bass Edge has always been about delivering education that's really can be applied to our listeners, angling, and for them to be able to take that information and have instant success on the water. A lot of times we will steer clear of, of debating competition, tournament organizations, you know, the practices that they kind of employ there. But the reality is, you know, the competitive environment is really the platform that helps drive technology, information, you know, and the very education that we speak about. Yeah, you're exactly right, Aaron. You know, whether whether anglers and Bass Edge listeners compete or don't compete, however it is they enjoy the, the recreation of bass fishing, there's no doubt about it that, you know, these tournaments and competition platforms provide tons of information. And, and really, that's what we're utilizing to help push everybody a little bit better in the angling department. You know, you take a guy like uh, Paul Elias, you know, a year and a half ago, he wins this tournament on this umbrella rig, the Alabama rig, and then all of a sudden it's the biggest craze. And really, if it hadn't have been for a tournament, you know, a lot of people on 
Table Rock or Lake Ozarks or out on the California Delta or Clear Lake wouldn't have even known about, you know, the Alabama rig and, and how effective it can really be. So uh, those things are super important in providing information so that we can all become better anglers. You know, and I often wonder, Kurt, in talking about the developments, the information, technology, when I think back to the start of my fishing, perhaps this is just a sign of my age, but things appeared or seemed more simple, you know, less involved and certainly a whole lot less expensive. Should we be concerned for our sport about the cost of participation, whether it be from a recreational standpoint or a competitive standpoint? Well, I mean, I think there's always some concern of cost, but the great thing about fishing is that, you know, and, and anything else for that matter is that, you know, a lot of these costs can be diminished and, and minimized depending on how involved or, or what your involvement is in bass fishing. You know, from taking a couple bucket of worms and taking your kids brim fishing at the local lake, it's obviously very inexpensive. You know, important for us all not to get caught up with some of the cost and competitive fishing and sixty or $70,000 boats and, and all the things that go along with that with gas and electronics and all those kind of things. But just getting out there and getting on the bank or getting in your kayak or canoe, whatever it is, or however you like to fish and cruising down the stream, all of these things that we talk on Bass Edge can really be a big part of your success working in those environments. Great point because, you know, we can take a minimalist approach. You know, you can get involved at whatever level, like you said. And, you know, I also like to believe we live in the greatest country there is. It's the land of opportunities. And I'm always a believer that you can create what it is that you want. There's so many examples, not only in fishing, but business and other sports that certainly attest to that. I always say I've never caught a bass running 70 miles an hour in my legend. So, you know, you don't have to have uh, speed and, and some of those things that really feeds the ego more than it does the appetite for bass fishing and can certainly just fish for whatever tugs at the end of your line. And certainly an angler that has spent his childhood fishing for whatever would bite the end of his line is this week's featured guest in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio presented by Keelcard. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. More Bass Edge in 30 seconds. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com.
We are back, and as mentioned, breaking in a new angle to Bass Edge. It took us a while to track this guy down, but I'm stoked we've caught up with him today. Many of you recognize him by his nickname, The Squirrel. A warm Bass Edge welcome to BASS Elite Angler, Jeff Creek. Jeff, awesome to have you on Bass Edge Radio. Oh, man, it's good to be here. It's getting that time of year, man. It's time to start really focusing on it, so let's talk about this stuff. Well, this time of year, we've got February and still cold water temps from the winter that begin to start warming up up here very soon and uh the stage of the bass moving this time of year is referred to as pre-spawn can you explain to our listeners what this term pre-spawn actually means absolutely you know it's still pretty cold but you know water temperature makes a big difference but as the days start getting a little bit longer again and all that those bass they're starting to think about the spawn the way i've always looked at it is, is those fish are starting to move back into areas they still may be deep but they're going to still be getting close to those areas where they can spawn start kind of migrating that way maybe off some of the main lake stuff that they've been on and you know this is a time of year that i really i like secondary points and and things like that their focus now is is, uh, to be around those areas where they can pull up when the time's right and get in there and do their thing jeff talk to me a little bit more about when you bring up the areas because i know the big thing in bass fishing is getting around a concentration of fish what are you looking for and and you know how are you approaching those bass that have really kind of started their migrations into that pre-spawn stage? You know, a lot of it, of course, always depends on which kind of lake you're fishing, but I'll take a look at whatever lake I'm in, and, you know, I try to visualize in my mind where I think these fish are going to spawn. You know, a lot of times it's flats and things like that, so areas that have some flats in them, or you may be on a lake where it's, you know, the fish spawn on pea gravel or different types of rock or or things like that, I'm going to try to find those areas, maybe a big creek arm or something like that, that I know has those things to offer. So flats and if I'm on a rock lake, you know, maybe the pea gravel style banks. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to be fishing the pea gravel right now, but I'm going to start fishing those points and things like that. I really like to fish channel bends and channel swings this time of year. You know, maybe you have a creek and, you know, you can look at a map or if you have some kind of topo map or even a you know, you have like a Navionics chip, you can look and find where those channels swing around that creek. And what those fish do, in my mind, is they use those channel swings as a highway to get back to those flats and things like that. So those are the areas that I really want to find. I try to find an area that has all of the things I'm looking for, like I said, secondary point and flats and nice channel swings. And that's where I'll really start looking for them. How important is protection from wind this time of year, Jeff? Especially as it gets even closer to when I really think they're starting to spawn, you're exactly right. I do want to find those banks that are protected from that cold north wind. And Jeff, when you when you talk about targeting these pre-spawn fish, you mentioned a little bit about some of the areas they might stage on. Do you ever target the areas where that fish are actually migrating? So kind of targeting areas where the fish are actually on the move rather than when they get somewhere and actually set up in that pre-spawn stage? Absolutely. That's why I really 
really like to channel swing banks. The banks in a creek or anything like that that swing toward the bank. If you look at a creek, generally, there's going to be three or four places. Maybe the first channel swing is where I might start, kind of out toward the mouth of a creek where, you know, it swings in, you know, tight to the bank. So, you know, I'm going to probably start there. And then if you'll look at your electronics or your, you know, your map, let's say there might be a 50 or 100-yard stretch where the channel swings close to that bank. Well, then it may go to the other side of the creek and swing a little bit farther in on the left side instead of the right side of the creek. And those channel swings, to me, like I said, that's their highway. They really like to be on those type of places this time of year. And once I start, you know, if I fix that first one out toward the mouth of the creek and I don't get any bites, I'm going to maybe jump to where it hits farther in the creek. You're going to find them on one of those channels swings running back. And, you know, if they're all, they may be all the way on the last channel swing. And then if once, if I catch them on that last channel swing, the furthest one in the creek, then I'm going to know, okay, probably if I go fish another creek arm, they're probably going to be on that last channel swing too. So, you know, that's just, those are pieces of the puzzle that I use to help me find those fish that are on the move. Really helps you, sounds like, developing that pattern instead of fishing a spot you find something that's working for you and then you're going to try and hit that in other locales that are similar around the lake very nice absolutely you hope you find a, a point where they're stacked up and all that you know but you know not all the time that works so this is a time of year you have some fish are moving that way you'll still have a few maybe still that on the main lake especially when it's early early pre-spawn so what i try to do is i try to target those high percentage areas the other thing that I really look for this time of year is transition banks, which, uh, you know, would be, let's say, where we have, you know, I'll really pay attention to the rock. And I, I know you fish Lake Amistad a lot, and I know you probably think this a lot, too, is if I'm going in there and, you know, let's say I have some big bluffy rock running back in somewhere where that rock goes from bluff to maybe a chunk rock, you know, those little 50, 60-yard stretches where that rock mixes is always really good. Like a classic here in a couple of weeks on Grand, I know the guys that will look at those transition banks and it may be where the chunk rock turns to that pea gravel. They're, those fish always like that mix of rock, right where that mix, the transition area is always really, really high percentage. Good stuff. Jeff, you make no bones about it that you enjoy a spinning rod and reel in your hands and utilizing the shaky head technique. Want to kind of pick your brain a little bit on that and understand what gear setup do you employ? for that technique and if you could walk us through how you determine your terminal tackle choices as well. Absolutely. I have a spinning rod on my boat no matter where I go. I don't care if I'm fishing in Lake Falcon, wherever. I always have one. It's an emergency go-to for me and it's, it's, and it's still a really good bait this time of year when the water's still pretty cold. I use a seven-foot spinning rod. I use a Falcon spinning rod that I actually designed. And on the rod for me, I like a rod with a fairly soft tip. I don't like a super stiff rod, you know, with the tip, because I want to be able to skip the bait and things like that. But I do like a fair amount of backbone. You know, I don't want parabolic, but I want fairly soft tip, but a fair amount of backbone. I like a size 20 reel is what I throw. I mean, I throw an Ambassador Revo. There's lots of good ones out there, but I prefer a 20. I know a lot of guys like the bigger ones. Uh, a lot of guys throw a 30. I think Kevin Van Dam throws a 30, and some of those guys do, but I prefer the 20. I never throw over 8-pound test, and I throw fluorocarbon. I throw high-seas fluorocarbon, but I always – I throw 6- and 8-pound tests exclusively. I don't ever – I see a lot of guys throw – 
ten pound tests and things like that. I don't. The only exception to the rule, me, if I'm not fishing real deep, I'll throw ten pound braid, and then I'll tie on a, you know, usually a six or eight pound fluorocarbon leader with a, you know, double uni knot. That's what I do. So when is it you adjust? You know, you you talked about having spooled up in all fluorocarbon at, at one point, and then at another point having some braid with a fluoro leader. What is it the two different uh, situations that you'll use one or the other? Typically for me, if I'm fishing, you know, maybe 15 foot deep or deeper, I'm going to throw straight fluorocarbon. And the reason I do that is when I throw a shaky head, probably 95% of the time I'm going to throw an 8 ounce head. The other 5% I'll throw a 16 ounce head. I very rarely throw like, a, I know a lot of people like a 3 and they throw a quarter a lot, but I just don't. If I'm going to have to throw a quarter or a 3 I'm going to probably go to a finesse jig or something like that. I've always felt like when you're finesse fishing, you'll, you'll get more bites most of the time on the lightest head you can get away with for the wind and all that. Even if I'm fishing deep, I still want to throw an 8-ounce head. I mean, if I'm fishing 30-foot deep, I'll throw an 8. But the straight fluorocarbon, I feel like when I'm fishing that deep, I get a better fall with my big falls better. And so many of those fish, you know, hit it on the fall when it's down there. When I'm fishing shallower, around lots of cover and around docks and things like that, and I'm talking in that 12 foot to 6 foot range, then I do, I really do like the braid. Well, Jeff, that's music to my ears right there, and I'm going to call an audible here. Let's take a break so I can catch up with my note-taking and get some of this uh, written down in my logbook here, but we'll be right back. There's certainly a lot more to come here on Bass Edge Radio. Whether you're on the road, on the water, or in your backyard, there's a super start battery when you need one at O'Reilly Auto Parts. From car batteries to batteries for your lawnmower or boat, every super start battery comes with a nationwide replacement warranty. Starting power, starting performance, and starting reliability, super start batteries available exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. Bass Edge Radio is back, and this segment brought to you by Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. From real oil to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit lucasoil.com. It works. Well, Jeff, many of our listeners know that you're from South Central Oklahoma and Fish Lake Murray when you got the opportunity. They have some awesome, just great small impoundments in that area of the country. Most recently, I heard some interesting news about a lake just up the road from you. An angler caught a 42-plus pound five-fish limit, and that's unheard of, especially from a smaller lake, but that came out of Lake Arbuckle. Why is it that we often overlook these fantastic smaller impoundments? You know, I'm forced to fish wherever my schedule is where I focus, but you're, you're right, man. There's some amazing fish on some of these smaller lakes. I mean, incredible. Lake Murray is one that I live, I've grown up fishing on, and, and you know, it's really close to my house. It takes me about five or six minutes to get there and unload, and, you know, and that's where I go to tune up and get ready and, and all that, but, you know, on a good day at Lake Murray, you know, I'll generally catch, you know, 30 or 40 smallmouth in a half a day, and, you know, you mentioned Arbuckle. Arbuckle's pretty close to me. Arbuckle's about 40 minutes and I fish there a lot in the wintertime and I mean it, that's quite a sack. And, you know the anger that caught that was our buddy Jeff Reynolds he used to fish the Bassmaster Elites right. and everything and you know it just shows you, you know you get a guy who knows how to catch a man 
42 pounds, that'd be a pretty good bag on uh, Falcon or Amstead. Heck yeah. Well, Jeff, do you find that there are advantages to anglers learning on smaller lakes versus the larger impoundments? Absolutely no doubt about it. When you go to a three, four, or 5,000 acre lake, you can really hone your skills. I mean, even the stuff we talked about in the first segment about, you know, fishing channel swings and, and learning your patterns, it's way easier to find that stuff on a smaller lake. You know, the Murray, it, that made the whole lake the size of one creek. You know, when you spend a day there, it's not quite as complicated as the others. You can cover a lot of the lake and dial these things in and, and down the road, apply that to these bigger lakes. And that, that's what I do all the time when I'm on one of these giant lakes and I mean it can be overwhelming you know and if we only get three days of practice that's exactly what I do I think about the lakes that I know like an Arbuckle or a Lake Murray and try to break down one section of the you know one creek arm or one arm of a lake and fish it like a small lake and I think the big problem with a lot of guys that don't get to fish quite as much they'll go to a huge lake like a Gunnersville or, or an Amistad and they try to fish the whole lake in in one day of practice and i think if you'll narrow that down and maybe just pick one arm just one creek on grand like honey creek or something like that and you break it down and you spend the day in there and that's what i try to do i try to fish every lake break a section and fish it like a small lake my first day of practice to get an idea what's going on yeah i think one of the key comments there that you made as well and to bring it up again is it just reduces how complicated things look and uh, being able to focus down on something those smaller lakes can be an awesome venue to learn and so oftentimes we hear you know you've got to go to these bigger impoundments to catch these big fish and huge sacks obviously not the case with lake arbuckle and i'm sure there's many other small lakes in the country that are uh, just the same so absolutely i went the other day a couple buddies and i we took two boats of us and we drove to fayette county lake and i'm sure you've heard of that lake it's in texas and it's yep. a power plant lake and it's, you know, it's only about 3500 acres or something like that you know it took us a little while to find them but once we did it was a lot easier than finding them on a big lake of course i mean i learned a ton we caught a ton of fish we caught probably 50 or 60 bass and a half day even if i've been on a great like amistad it'd have been you know i'm not going to say i wouldn't have done that but it might have taken me two or three days to find them so you know we only had about a day to fish so you know what a great day you know that's awesome and talking about smaller places i know jeff you're involved with the uh new major league fishing uh one of the most intriguing concepts of that tournament are the old bass mega bucks type format of um, having a field fish in a small designated area of the lake. Um, I'm interested to know, is that, do you think that that's made you a better angler and provided you with some additional insight into fishing in general? Sometimes it works to my benefit and sometimes it doesn't, but I fish pretty slow typically, which can be good, but there's times, you know, a guy needs to speed up. I like to find a pattern. I like to say, okay, I, I found them on these outside points and, you know, I'm just going to crank or I'm going to drag that football jig up deep because that's what I really like to do. I like to fish deep. But in that format, you get out there and waste a bunch of time out deep, they're going to own you. So I'm forced to move up, target those shallow active fish. And uh, it, man, it's, 
be a lot better fisherman. I don't know how it's done for my nerves, but <laughs> but, uh, but but other than that, yes. You know, some guys are extremely good trash fishermen. You know, you take like a Gerald Swindle or guys like that. You know, you'll talk to them after a day of fishing, and they'll be they'll have a big sack. You're like, dang man, nice sack. How'd you catch them? And it's like, well, I caught one on a square bill, one on a buzz bay, one swimming in a jig. I caught one flipping a dock, and I caught one on a you know whatever. And you know, with me, if you ask me, if I caught a big sack at the end of the day, it'd be how'd you catch them? I'd be well, I caught them all long cranking a, a deep crankbait, or I caught them all on a half ounce football jig. Right. Well, yeah. it's forcing me to pick up that frog and throw it by a patch of grass, and pick up and flip this dock. And so, absolutely, man. You have to think on the fly on that deal, man. It's, it's pretty wild. There's good things and bad things about knowing what everybody's catching them. If you're the one that's catching them pretty good, it's fun to know you're whooping everybody. But when you're the guy that's not catching them, it's no fun when you come in and, and to a tournament and you go, dang, I really missed it this time. I've got five that weigh eight and everybody else has five that weigh 20. But when they're calling them out to you live and you, you see it happening, man, it's even worse. Oh, I can't imagine the mental warfare that's oh, going yeah. going through your head there. Hey, Jeff, it is time for our O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question. And this week's question is from Joe all the way up in Beacon Falls, Connecticut. I guess that's a relative term. Depends on where where you're at. But for the three of us, it certainly is north of us. But Joe asks, I just joined a bass club here in good old Connecticut and our first tournament will be in mid-May. So my question is, I know it depends on water temp, but roughly where do you think we will be pre-spawn, spawn, or post spawn and what are some of the techniques that you would apply i love using lipless crankbaits and i think i have heard that it's a great time of year to throw one and also i'll be a co-angler slash non-boater so please put that into consideration when describing some techniques again that question is from joe in beacon falls connecticut i do love to throw a lipless crankbait too i mean i really do typically i'm going to throw that if there's some grass there's some sort of grass, whether it be hydrilla or millful or something like that. It is absolutely one of the greatest baits to throw that time of the year because you're going to cover some water and things like that. If he's fishing as a co-angler, it's going to be dependent on what his partner does. If his partner is moving and covering a lot of water, absolutely, I'd throw a lipless crankbait. And the other thing I would throw a lot, I'd probably throw a suspending jerkbait a lot. You know, I'd try to vary a little bit from what he's doing. If it's a little bit farther along and the weather's been pretty good and and I'm just speaking from experience of guys I've had in the back of my boat. If he's not covering a ton of water and he's not fishing overly fast and things like that, I would never pass up something like, you know, a Cinco-style bait. And, uh, you know, the other thing, of course, is, you know, you can always pick him up, you know, on a shaky head behind the guy. I just, I've had it happen to me too many times, a guy in the back of the boat. If I was throwing a, a lipless bait, you know, a rattling bait, and he picks up and drags that Cinco around, it's always like, wow, some time or another i end up picking up the same thing so whatever your partner's throwing i would vary it up a little bit whether it be size if he's throwing a half ounce trap sometimes you might even want to throw a quarter ounce trap and and kind of work together if he's doing one thing kind of do the other you know back in the days when we had nine butters there's a lot of time where my co-anger got me dialed in he was doing something totally different than i was well that's great advice right there jeff and uh, certainly appreciate your thoughts on that and we also appreciate joe for you sending in your question and congratulations for having it to be chosen and to be heard on the air and winning a $100 gift card from O'Reilly Auto Parts. And all you other Bass Edge listeners, be sure to send in those listener questions through our email at support at bassedge.com or post 
those questions to our Facebook page. And if your question is chosen to be answered on the show, you will also be a $100 gift card winner from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Jeff, great having you on the show today. Do you have any parting words for our listeners before we uh, shut this thing down? You know, the only thing I said, man, spend as much time on the water as you can. I know that's kind of cliche, but spend as much time on the water and do your own thing. When you go to these lakes, and even if you're on a little old small lake, and it's really easy to get caught up doing the same thing day in and day out. Make yourself get out and try a new technique and maybe try uh, some different baits. And I guarantee there's a lot more fish out on a, on a, even if it's a small lake, there's a lot more fish out there in places that you haven't fished. So just experiment a little bit and make you a lot better fisherman. Great advice, Jeff. We appreciate you being a part of Bass Edge, and we will return in just a moment. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerful is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerful deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerful won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. I'm Kevin Hawk, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Certainly we have very talented guests throughout the life of Bass Edge Radio, and Jeff really just took that to a different level, Kurt. And his message about small waters versus large impoundments, man, that really resonated with me. Yeah, it sure does. Having having newcomers like Jeff always creates some new talk and, and more interest. And, you know, with the small waters in particular, he talked about being able to capitalize quickly because it's a smaller impoundment, you know. And I've got to really kind of refocus maybe some of my thinking. And, of course, I fish like I'm a out all the time at being a guide down there and everything, but traveling around the country, I'll probably utilize some of that information and hit some of these smaller bodies of water, maybe near somewhere I have a tournament or something, to be able to really break down a water quickly and know what's going on in that part of the country at that time. There's so many instances where we think you have to fish a large body of water to catch big fish or have a good time, but a lot of different types of people out there fishing a lot of different types of waters, and it just goes to show these small bodies of water don't get the press sometimes they really deserve. Well, I know certainly for me, if nothing else, it's a psychological maneuver because if I'm on a smaller body of water, I have to figure out how to catch fish there. When I am on a larger impoundment, you know, it's always going through my head, well, what if I ran up the creek or what if I ran up the river and went on a, you know, 15-mile boat ride? But we all know you don't catch any fish when you're driving the boat around. And the other thing, it really causes you to tap in and try and figure out what's going on in that moment in that location because there are no doubt there are biting fish right there in those smaller impoundments. Aaron, you're exactly right. Focus on what's in front of you. Don't be thinking too many steps ahead. You want to break down and analyze that information, but by fishing a small body of water, it really gives you the opportunity to just fish what's right there in front of you. And it's been proven time after time again, as we go back and, and notice in some of these tournament concepts where they're fishing these smaller holes, and no matter where they're at or where somebody puts them on a particular lake, 
There's people catching fish in some way, shape, or form. That's what it's all about, catching fish. We have reached the end of our show. want to throw our sincere thank you out to Jeff Crete for taking time to join us. Thank you to all of our Bass Edge listeners. Be sure to stay with us on Facebook and Twitter following the show. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. Have a great week, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.